The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something special. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Writer Files and Podcasters for Justice are creators united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many, many others the hands of police. And we're committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that black lives matter. We believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we witness it. In creating digital media, we've committed to using our voices to speak against racism and police brutality. And we encourage our audiences to be educated engaged, and to take action. You'll find many resources in the show notes about how you can help. Thanks for listening. Okay, well, I'll tell you this. Two things that I've learned is one, as a writer, you have to develop a thick skin. You just, you're going to get rejected. There's going to be people who don't get your work. Don't read the reviews. Um, even if they're good, just because people, because <laughs> um, it's always you're going to read like 50 good ones and then you'll see that you'll remember the one that gave you the one or two stars. So don't <laughs> don't read the reviews, develop a thick skin, but also stand up for your work. Nobody knows your story as well as you do. And so if somebody tries to pressure you into writing something a certain way or taking something out, putting something in, listen, you know, choose and uh, your heels to die on carefully. But if you choose to defend a hill, defend it with everything you got, because at the end of the day, that's your dream going on the paper and nobody else can dream that dream the way you do. Greetings, scribes. You've tuned into The Writer Files, and I am still your grateful host, Kelton Reed, sending you positivity and prolificness during these challenging times. This week, award-winning neo-noir novelist and short story writer S.A. Cosby a break to speak with me about his Pulp Fiction influences, the hard work that went into his 10-year overnight success, and the cinematic timber of his writing voice. S.A. Cosby's short story, The Grass Beneath My Feet, won an Anthony Award for Best Short Story 2019, and his short fictions appeared in numerous anthologies and magazines. His latest, Blacktop Wasteland, is a reinvention of the noir genre described as Ocean's Eleven meets Drive with a Southern Noir Twist. The story of a man pushed to his limits by poverty, race, and his own former life of crime. Already an Amazon bestseller, the books received extraordinary trade coverage, starred reviews, cover with ALA Booklist, an interview with Publishers Weekly, and it has a bevy of early supporters including legends Walter Mosley, Dennis Lehane, 
and best-selling author Lee Child called the book sensationally good, more than recommended. In this file, S.A. and I discussed how he amassed such critical acclaim from his heroes, the dollar paperbacks that influenced his writing, how early advice helped him go to where the people are, why he wanted to incorporate the modern, rural, black, southern experience into his writing, and how to develop a thick skin, stand up for your work, and defend your dreams. Stay tuned and stay sane out there. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on The Writer Files and I am honored to be joined by award-winning crime novelist S.A. Cosby. And how are you today? How are you surviving over there? I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. We're uh, we're maintaining through the uh, through the end times. Uh, I think the first couple of weeks were a mixture of uh, rage and and alcoholism, but now we've settled into a nice, comfortable despair. So we're doing okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it sounds it sounds like a, a pretty uh, similar to story to a lot of authors presently. But uh, yeah, these concentric circles of uh, crises seem to be pushing us all kind of to the brink of that as you mentioned um rage and alcoholism and and a little bit of despair to mix that um but uh yeah uh geez man i can't wait to talk to you about all things writing and a little bit about your history as a writer and your past but yeah congrats on the latest i mean i think i mentioned earlier that we could probably just spend the entire half hour uh just reading the blurbs from your book. I mean, this latest <laughs> Blacktop Wasteland is uh, it's got an incredible set of, you know, I mean, your peers are just like, man, just some amazing blurbs there. Let's talk a little bit about your thought, your feelings about that, because that's really, really oh, cool man. to see. I'll tell you, um, it's funny. If, if you would ask me, what are, what, who's on my uh, Mount Rushmore of crime writing? It's you know I gotta start with you know Walter Mosley and Dennis Lehane are up there. I mean it's yeah. it's, it's 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 you know it's probably Chester Himes, Raymond Chandler, Elmore Leonard, and then Walter Mosley and Dennis Lehane. And for Walter Mosley and Dennis Lehane to not only have read my book, but to say such wonderful things about it, it's a dream come true. I yeah. I, I, I it has to be the equivalent of of um of a kid who wants to play guitar getting to meet Jimi Hendrix or something. It's just, <laughs> it, it's, it's beyond my wildest dreams. I, I literally, uh, I literally can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they just had some amazing things to say. Walter Mosley, of course, diamonds and fast cars, trailer park dreams and late night, illegal street racing. S.A. Cosby reinvents the American crime novel. And man, that is just some high praise. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> None. None. Um, but I mean, it's just amazing. I, I'm, I am speechless uh, yeah. for such kind words. I, he's, he's been a hero of mine and um, for years. And anyone who knows me personally knows that I could go on and pontificate about Dennis Lehane's uh, Kenzie Gennaro series for days. And so yeah. for him, and, and I mean, when you like Lee Childs on there, and Jennifer Hillier, oh, and Alice Segura, and Michael Cordier, Cordier and uh, just amazing Rob Hart, an amazing Murderer's Row, Kelly Garrett of writers who I either have met or respect 
or I res- I've met and still respect. And so it's uh, it's just um, beyond for 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 a kid from the um, you know the lowlands and hills of Virginia um, who dropped out of college. Uh, this is amazing. Yeah. I, I can't believe any of this has happened, to be honest. Yeah. Well, congrats on the work. The book is, uh, is a really beautiful something to behold. And um, yeah, we're going to talk more about that uh, and kind of the, uh, yeah, this reinvention or neo-noirs as we're calling it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about your superhero origin story. Um, as you mentioned, you know, um, you've had this really interesting past and as all, as all, um, great writers, it's kind of like, you know, you've, you've had this very circular, uh, or I should say circuitous route to where you are today. Right. So talk a little bit about, about, you know, how this, and also, you know, how it kind of feeds into your fiction and how it, how it, um, energizes the work. Yeah, my writing career had a lot of stops and starts. Um, so I guess first things first, I was born in southeastern Virginia in a small, it's actually the smallest county in Virginia, Matthews County, Virginia. And as a kid, my first formative years, I like to tell people uh, they were like a bad country song. Because uh, <laughs> when, <I was laughs> when I was three, our house broke down, my mom and dad separated, and uh, we had to move in with my grandparents. And, and, he, took, and he took the dog in the car. And um, so when uh, but those years of growing up and we grew up, we were, you know, we we're really poor. My mom is, uh, excuse me, my mom is partially disabled. And so um, she couldn't work a lot growing up. So we, I, I mean, we we were we were, you know, dirt poor, you know, like 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 the, we lived in a house that was so small, like like the old joke goes, if you wanted to change your mind, you had to go outside. And so <laughs> um, and so I grew up uh, with my grandparents. And my uncles and all of us around us in this little small town, I grew up around a lot of hard working, you know, hard scrabble people. But there was a lot of joy and, and passion in that house. And um, one of the things that started me on this route was that my grandmother was a big reader. My grandmother loved to read. And when she was done with her various books and magazines, she, she used to love reading a magazine called True Story. And basically True Story mm-hmm. was a periodical of uh, really uh, lurid soap opera s. Uh, short stories. And um, anyway, I would read those. Uh, we would go down to the local um, swap meet or, or thrift store, as some people call it. And um, there was a bin there where you could, for a dollar, you could pick six paperback novels. But you never knew what you're going to get. It was just, you just going to sort through this bin. And just so, right. I, I start, so I started reading everything from, you know, uh, really cheap genre fiction, like the Mac Bolin series, all the way up to like Agatha Christie and 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 then throw some you know, American naturalists in there like Sherwin Anderson or uh, Frank Norris. All those were books or or used books that were in his bin. So I had a wide variety of, of reading interests as a kid. And so um, my first written story was a <laughs> reimagining of the night before Christmas when I was eight years old for my <laughs> uh, for, for my grade school class. And I had reimagined uh, the reindeers turning on on Santa Claus. And it was it ended up being <laughs> like a, a quasi horror story. And um, my teacher didn't like it, but my my classmates did. And that kind of inspired me to maybe I want to write my own stories. But I didn't really get serious about it until uh, like high school. I had a high school English teacher, Mr. Jeff Bone, who introduced me um, to uh, I was in the advanced uh, English class. He introduced me to a lot of writers and authors that I, I probably wouldn't have found on my own. You know, uh, uh, and books that I wouldn't have experienced, like Johnny Get His Gun and The Last Babylon, and and uh, and uh, hmm. the work like John Steinbeck, and uh, you know, he was a big fan of uh, 
he gave me a book that wasn't on the syllabus by Jim Harrison, who is, is one of my favorite writers. And so, um, Hmm. I I went to college and unfortunately, uh, my second year of college I had to drop out. My mom's condition worsened. And uh, I when I dropped out, I was taking uh, creative writing courses and I was a part of the uh, I contributed to our, uh, you know, I use this quotation marks, our literary magazine in college. And so <laughs> um, um, but I continued writing and uh, I, I I tell you, how I'm going to date myself and tell you how old I am. I, I remember it's like gather around children. I I remember when you had this, when you sent off a short story, you had to su- supply a self-addressed stamp envelope. <laughs> they wouldn't send you story back. So that's how right. long I've been kicking around at this. And um, <laughs> um, uh, I actually be- became, remained friends with my English teacher, Mr. Bowen. And he was the first person to read my stories and, and really give me that ins- inspiration of, Hey, I think you have a talent for this. And, you know, as life does, it, like you said, it's a very circuitous route. Things came up and things went down. And I all through it, I continued writing through various. I, 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 I had several different employment. Uh, I said several different paths to employment and I hated all of them. But uh, <laughs> I was a, I was a construction worker. I was a bouncer. I worked on fishing boats. I worked landscaping. I was a retail manager for a number of years. And uh, and through all of that, I continued to write. And so um you know, and then I had various, you know, like relationships and, and, and dated and, and all that. And um, writing never went away. There were times where it is where the uh, the drive may have slack slacked off a little bit or slacking, but it never went away. So anyway, hmm. long story, as the kids say, too long, didn't read. Um, <laughs> uh, I ended up working at this retail place and I met a guy at the retail place who was retired and he used to work as a uh, promoter for bands. He gave me the best piece of advice I ever got as far as my writing goes. He he read my stories and stuff and, and he said, you know, you're a really good writer, but there are a hundred people who can write. You know, he said, given in, in any given town, any given area, there's probably a hundred people who can write. And of those hundred, there's 50 who will actually sit down and write a story and finish it. And of those 50, there's 25 that maybe will send it out. And of those 25, there may be 10 or 15 who will get the story back when it gets rejected because it's probably going to get rejected and take that rejection as cr- constructive criticism. And of those 10 or 15, maybe five will stick with it. He said, you got to mm-hmm. be one of the five that sticks with it. And that was a really great piece of advice because at that time I had sort of uh, artistic, I, I should say pretentious artistic ideals about writing. And he really kind of threw cold water in my face about that. And <laughs> he also gave me another good piece of advice. He said, um, you have to go to where the people are. You have to go to conferences. You have to go to all these different things. So anyway. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime that's patreon.com slash the writer files help us start something cool and special keep calm and write on what happened was uh i've been writing short stories and starting to get a little traction my first published short story 
published short story was in a magazine called Thug Lit that was edited by the great Ty Robbins, who's a great editor and a writer in his own right. And it was my first paying story and uh, started branching out to other magazines and started, you know, get a little bit of reputation as a short story writer. And um, my first novel was a book called My Darkest Prayer, mm. which is published by an independent uh, label, uh, uh, independent publisher out of Maryland. Entry publishing, great folks, Austin and Denise Camacho, wonderful people there. So what happened was uh, Darkest Prayer was coming out and I took my friend's advice about going to a conference and I, I saved my money, scraped and saved my money to go to BoucherCon. And in 2018, and um, I was lucky enough to be put on a, a panel by my friend, my friend Eric Pruitt, who's a great Southern uh, noir writer himself. He put together a panel of Southern crime fiction. And it was a, you know, it's all these heavy hitters in me on this panel. It's Ace Atkins, it's Steph Post, Alex Segura, and Eric himself. And then I, you know, bringing up the rear. And um, mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, I've told this story a bunch, but it's still funny. So at the end of the panel discussion, a uh, lady got up and I've learned this whenever somebody gets up at the end of a panel discussion at a conference <laughs> and they say, I don't really have a question as so much as a comment, buckle up. Here we go. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> this lady gets up and we've been talking about Southern writing and how race and class are, uh, impact the fiction of Southern writers from Eudora Welty to Alice Walker to William Faulkner to, you know, Flannery O'Connor. And so um, we yeah. all talked about this and this lady gets up and she says, you know, I just feel like she's like, I hear what you're saying, but I just feel like, you know, white people are being marginalized and we're being pushed out. And, oh, you know, I miss the um, I miss the the manners and etiquette of the antebellum South and all that kind of stuff. And, and you could hear the pin drop in there. <laughs> Nobody said anything. And so then I said, because I'm a congenital smart ass. I said, <laughs> I said, well, ma'am, I understand that you're stressed out. I said, oh, you know. I'm going to help you. You know, my people have been discriminated against since we got here. So I'm going to work with you on learning how to drive while white and how to work, <laughs> learn how to, you know, uh, deal with somebody following you around a store, assuming you're going to have enough money to buy uh, a product there. I said, we're going to work through this. We're going to get through this together. And I was being a smart ass on purpose. And she left and everybody laughed. And so after that, uh, that, uh, comp that panel, a guy comes running up to me and he says, Hey, uh, my name is Josh Gessler and I'm an agent. And he said, I really liked, not only the way you handled that lady, but the things you were saying about writing and your ideas about writing. He said, you have anything? He said, I know you got a book coming out in a couple of months. Do you have anything that you're working on that doesn't have representation? And the thing that I was working on was Blacktop Wasteland. And nice. uh, so uh, he gave me his card and he said, hey, uh, look me up when you get home and I'd love to take a look at it. And I didn't call him for like three weeks because I had a bad experience with an agent before. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to, that isn't going to work my time. And, <laughs> some, and some friends kept needle, needling me. It's like, you should send him, you should contact this guy. So I contacted him in November, 2018. He took me on as a client in December, 2018. He sold a uh, blacktop wasteland and a book to be determined to Flatiron um, Books in February of 2019. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's crazy. It's That's a crazy story. That's a great story. <laughs> It's the craziest um, thing ever, man. <laughs> well, congratulations. I mean, right place, right time. Just, uh, yeah. Luck. Yeah. Luck yeah. has a lot to do with it. <laughs> sure. As it often does. But I mean, of course it's never that, you know, we always joke about the 10 year overnight success, you know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? know, there's no such thing as an overnight success and, um, no. <laughs> you put in the work and, and no, it's really, really exciting to see just, I mean, the extraordinary coverage that you've gotten. And then 
Yeah, let's talk about the book because Blacktop Wasteland, gosh, I mean, the more, the more I read it, obviously it just kind of sucks you in, but I love, <laughs> I love this description, like oceans loving me to drive with a Southern <laughs> noir twist. Blacktop Wasteland is a searing operatic story of a man pushed to his limits by poverty, race, and his own former life of crime. And of course, you know, when we start to talk about kind of the reinvention of the classic noir, you know, it's like these, um, you know, where you found this, again, this kind of uh, conjunction of these worlds. Um, you know, I can see why Dennis Lehane, you know, is so... <laughs> <laughs> jazz about you know this refreshing new voice in crime literature because it's a much needed kind of shot in the arm for this genre right yeah i guess i mean i wanted the thing is i wanted to and i love that description i was cracking up because personally i always think it's more uh it's more hella high water meets drive I and mean, nobody's seen seen yeah. that movie hella high water go ahead and check that out it's a oh. fantastic movie it's but um movie. um i think the thing i wanted to do you know, I could sit here and say this, you know, I could pontificate about this great plan that I had to change the genre. And that, that wasn't it at all. I wanted, <laughs> I really wanted, I, I wanted to tell a story about the people that I grew up with. And I also wanted to tell a story about the area that I'm from. And I also wanted to tell a story that kind of took certain tropes, you know, the the famous one last job, you know, and you know, I think Rick and Morty did a great job of sending up the heist genre uh, a few weeks ago on 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 the episode. You know, it's like, um, yeah. but take those tropes of gathering the, the crew and this and planning the heist and all that, and kind of twist them a little bit and go behind the uh, characters. You know, the, and I use movies a lot because I write. I tend to write. I see the story in my head cinematically, so mm -hmm. I see it as movie scenes. And so, but I, I mean, if you to use that as a as a metaphor. I wanted to take heat and I wanted to find out more about Neil Macaulay or, mm. you know, I, I wanted to go behind, you know, and he does that a little bit. There's a little bit about what, what these characters do in their criminal life and what they do in their personal lives. But I wanted to really explore that and explore why a person chooses crime without sensationalizing it. I mean, I'm not, you know, there's no, I hope there's no point in the book where somebody thinks I'm like, yeah, crime is a great option for your future endeavors. It's not, but I wanted to examine why people feel forced into it or why people feel like they have no other way out. And so I definitely wanted, and I wanted the faces in the book to look like my face. I wanted to, you know, a lot of people don't talk about or write about the modern rural black Southern experience. And I mean, I think there's a consensus or an idea among some people in uh, more uh, metropolitan areas of the country that, and this is, you know, this goes black or white or whatever. There's an idea that I think some people have that Southern black people are either that we're this sort of submissive, uh, quiet demographic, um, you know, that we're all like drinking Soma from a brave new world and that uh, they don't understand what's going on in our lives. I think the show, um, the TV show Atlanta does a great job of showing a Southern, a modern Southern black experience, um, more, you know, more urban, more city centered, but still uh, uh, showing a little bit of that rural experience. And I kind of wanted to talk about that too. Um, and then, but at the end of the day, I also wanted to tell a pretty fun story about with car chases and people getting, you know, beaten in the face with pipe wrenches. And so um, <laughs> I, I kind of mixed all that up together. Um, Stephen King once said, it doesn't matter what you're trying to say in your book or story. 
if the tale itself isn't interesting. And so I really wanted to make the sh- make sure the, the story itself was interesting mm-hmm. and then, you know, sprinkle some of the ideas and things I'm trying to get across through the story. You know, uh, like my mama says, they, uh, you know, the sugar makes the medicine go down. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I wanted to do that. And so Blacktop Wasteland was kind of a, the genesis of that was uh, a mix of movies and books that I previously myself had read and liked. Like, you know, uh, there's a, there's a, if there's a family tree of crime fiction, uh, there's a branch that has a connection between Blacktop Wasteland and uh, and Gator and White Lightning and Hella High Water. Um, but also, uh, you know, there's a branch that has a connection with uh, A Lesson Before Dying by Ernest J. Gaines, too. So it's, a mag- it's an amalgamation of all those um, influences. Yeah, yeah, that's cool that you can trace that kind of uh, lineage. But yeah, no, I, I mean, there is a very cinematic quality to the writing. And um, you do uh, craft a very nice sentence there, so you, so you can see the the you know it's it's not just um, run of the mill kind of uh, you know pulp fiction. It's it's definitely got some intense um, thought behind it, and but also like you said, you know you got to go to where the people are, and mm-hmm. it's it's very entertaining, high octane. Um, gosh, and the, that movie Drive, uh, yeah. Although, you know, it's, um, it's a very dark, but very, uh, there's something really sad about it, right? Uh, yeah, something, it's something intensely <laughs> melancholic and sad. It's heartbreaking. Drive yeah. is a heartbreaking. And I want it. I love Drive. I love yeah, that movie. And uh, I love Ryan Gosling's performance in it. It's a, you know, it's a technicolor dreamscape of, you know, of loss, hopes and dreams. And uh, it's a, in a me and his character in it. You know, there's a scene in that movie. And uh, <laughs> I love it because it's it's the best badass menacing scenes in movies are quiet ones. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in Drive where this guy keeps talking to Ryan Gosling's character at a bar about a previous job that he's done. Ryan Gosling's character is a getaway driver. And the guy keeps talking and he keeps talking and he, he turns around and very softly but intensely says something that I can't quote the line, but says something to the effect, you don't stop asking me about this job. I'm going to feed you your teeth. <laughs> right. and I, I, I love that line because it shows everything you need to know about that character. He's a professional. Yeah. He's he's calm. He's not, you know, he's not this wild eyed animal. But at the same time, he will he will brook no chance of him going to jail. He he's very self aware and he has a survival instinct. And so I wanted the main character, Blacktop Beauregard, um, Bug Montage, uh, African American man from the South to have some of those qualities. Um, but I also wanted him to have a certain melancholy uh, 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 sense to him as well. And so, you know, he's definitely a person you don't want to cross, but also kind of expanding that stereotypical tough guy character into somebody who is very broken inside and mm-hmm. he's aware of it. He knows he's broken. And then, you know, that that's step one. And then step two is what do you do with that knowledge? And, do you try to change, which he's tried to do as the book opens, or do you just regress and and accept this is who I am? And so that I'm 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 fascinated with questions of identity when it comes to characters and, and mm-hmm. writing and who we are and are we you know again I quote a lot of movies because I'm a big movie fan, but yeah. there's this great line in um in Spider Man you know we are who we choose to be, um, the Green Goblin says it, but. I think that's true. I think we are definitely, a, you know, it's it's nature versus nurture to a certain extent, but we then we make choices about who we are. And, you know, Beauregard uh, makes 
unfortunate unfortunate choices um, because of the limited options that he has. And so right. I definitely was um, fascinated with that idea, and that's something I try to carry out through the book. Yeah. I mean, I keep thinking about kind of, you know, this, um, you know, this almost in the genre, like this unspoken, you know, I don't know if it's honor among thieves or the opposite, <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, especially when you talk about films like Drive or, or Heat, um, and you mentioned Neil Macaulay's character, you know, there is this, there is this, um, a deep well of, of course, as you've said, like sadness and melancholy, and obviously they've been deeply scarred by life, but, right, um, right. and, and the same with bug, even though it seems like they have everything together in the moment when it matters most, um, you know, and they're, they're, they are good under pressure. Mm-hmm. God, there's something about heat that is so, it's such a brilliant movie. And I'm a huge, it's fan. a masterpiece. I'm I'm a it's a masterpiece. Huge fan of Michael Mann movies going back to thief and. Oh my God. And, yeah. Uh, thief yeah. is, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Young, young, young essay Cosby and his friends used to be able to quote heat verbatim. So it's like <laughs> <laughs> heat and heat and Scarface and, uh, Minister society are movies that we would quote back and forth to each other. And yeah. so I'm definitely a fan of that. But I, I loved Heat because it, it did that thing where it was, like I said, it delved into more of their personal lives and, and more into who they were as, as men and women. And it mm-hmm. was this just great, almost Charles Dickens-esque story yeah, about yeah. these characters who happen to be criminals. And I'm fascinated by that idea. And so I wanted to delve into that myself and, uh, you know, and delve into that idea in my own uh, writing. And you know, I've done a little bit of it in my first book. My first book, Darkest Prayers, is more of a, I won't say a pastiche, but a love letter to, you know, the uh, the lone wolf P.I. genre. And uh, I don't do as much with the soul searching in that. It's, it's much more about the action and the mystery. Um, but it still has elements of that. The main character in that is a character named Nathan Waymaker, who's the son of a white man and a black woman in the rural South. And he grows up to be a, a, a P, a, an unlicensed. He's more of a troubleshooter than a PI. But so there's questions about identity in that book as well. Um, I kind of ex- I just expanded on those in Blacktop Wasteland. And I mean, also, I think I think the idea of the like, if you're familiar, anybody like if you watch or read the uh, Donald Westlake's uh, Parker's stories, mm-hmm. right? Um, when he was writing as a as a, a you know he's writing and, and he's he takes on a pseudonym and he writes the Parker stories the Richard Stark books and um I love those books growing up as a kid because Parker is the ultimate professional tough guy he's this thief but he's also um he doesn't he has a code of honor that's all his own he's you know he's a a walking sociopath but he has <laughs> this code of honor and he sticks to it and and he you know he's a, he's more of a complicated character than people think because that type of personality or that type of, of worldview is definitely shaped by something traumatic happening yeah. to the, happening to him as, as a person. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and Westlake never does this. He never gives us any backstory. We don't know if Parker's his first name, his last name, if it's his real <laughs> name, but we know he's deeply, deeply damaged. He's smart and he's competent and he's a professional, but there's definitely something deeply wrong with him. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm definitely fascinated by that as a as a writer and as a reader. And so those things are 
things that I try to incorporate, not just the Black Top Wasteland, but into all my work, yeah. the idea of identity. Absolutely. Well, uh, Booklist called it a superb work of crime fiction, uncompromisingly noir, but deeply human. And it definitely is that. Congrats on the work. Uh, I did have a question about whether or not it is being turned into a film as of yet. Do we know if it's been optioned or? Um, we got actually a couple months ago, uh, the film rights were sold to a studio called Picture Start. And um, so hopefully something will happen. Um, I'm blown away by that. You know, it, like I said, everything that's happened is just with this book is mind blowing. Mm. You alluded to it earlier. I mean, you know, it is a lot of luck. It is a lot about being in the right place at the wrong or at the right time. But it's also, you know, I put thousands of miles on my car driving up down the East Coast, going to to cons, going to live readings. I cut my teeth as a writer, a lot of it at Noir the Bar events, reading live for an audience. Um, you know, traveling. Me and my me and Eric Pruitt, you know, doing a road trip trying to uh, pimp up, uh, push our books. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it is definitely a lot of luck, but it's a lot of hard work. And, you know, and you look back at it and, you know, it's like, like I said, I was, I grew up dirt poor. You know, we didn't have a, you know, I grew up with a, like a, a fire, like a wood stove and we didn't have indoor plumbing until I was 16. And so to see that and to see where I've come from, to see where this book is now is just beyond my wildest dreams. And so, um, you know, somebody wanted to turn it into a movie. It's just an icing on the cake. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's an embarrassment of riches at one point, at some point. And so, uh, I'm definitely very, very thankful for everyone who's ever helped me and everything that's happening that's r- with cool. it right now. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can definitely smell the, um, blacktop wasteland and the covers is really beautiful. Um, but yeah, w- I think when I think of that, t- what you talk about that kind of technicolor dreamscape of, uh, drive, you know, I also imagine, um, kind of, you know, there's, there's obviously there's quite a bit of violence and, and these, these amazing, uh, uh, <laughs> scenes just in your book. It's like, the, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was kind of imagining, you know, like a mashup of, uh, um, at least for the look of a, of a cinematic version of this would be, you know, kind of have a John Wick drive oh, sensibility, you know? Oh my gosh. It's so funny you say that because I would love, like, if you take the John Wick cinematography and the, uh, and, 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 this, and that sort of, uh, that late, John Wick has this incredible late seventies film noir yeah. vibe and you mash that with a, a rural noir setting. You know, I, I've, I've said this before, but a lot of people will tell you that the scariest place on earth in a crime novel is, you know, a dark alley in a city at, at midnight. But I'll, I, I'll tell you, I think uh, uh, a dark country road uh, <laughs> on a mo- on a moonless night is just as terrifying. And so kind of mixing that, those two genres up and mashing them together would be great. I mean, it's funny because there are definitely scenes in the book that I wrote specifically visualizing them as movie scenes, not in anticipation of the book getting a movie. Deal. You know, when I was writing the book, I didn't even think nobody would read it. I just was writing it because I wanted to. I thought it was a fun idea. But I wrote in a way that like there's scenes in the book. Uh, if you read it, whenever people read it, there's a scene toward the end where the, the, the main character is chasing down some bad guys. And right before he executes this, this basically it's a pit maneuver. The main character, the bad guy thinks, you know, damn, that some bitch can drive. And so, you know, you in my mind, <laughs> I see that as a movie shot where you see the car approaching like a shark, and right before he he rams the the bad guy, you do a close up 
on the bad guy's face and he'll like utter that line and then mm-hmm. all hell breaks loose. And so mm-hmm. I write, that's the way I kind of see it in my head. I would love to see like Chaz Tukelski, you know, do the stunts or direct a movie version of this. I would, mm-hmm. if you listen, uh, yeah, Chaz Tukelski, uh, get at me because I would love that. That would be <laughs> incredible. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, well, the best place to connect with SA out there is Twitter. I will drop that one into the show notes. And it is at Black Lion King 73. But uh, yeah, before we wrap up here with kind of your advice to your fellow scribes and just how to keep it, keep it rolling, keep going. Yeah, is, uh, I want to I wanna just ask you um, what you're working on now. What, what, you, got, what you got cooking? Okay, um, right now I'm in the middle of revisions for my next book with Flatiron. Uh, working title is tentative, is tentatively titled Razorblade Tears, and I'll give you the elevator pitch. Really, this one is basically Ooh. if the uh, Defiant Ones met Rolling Thunder again. A lot of movie references. Anybody doesn't know what Rolling Thunder is is a great William Devane revenge novel. But basically, Razorblade Tears is about two fathers, one black, one white, both ex-cons, whose sons were married and were murdered in what appears to be a hate crime. And so these two men of violence, these two rough. Uh, alpha males decide to investigate the crime, not only to get revenge for their sons, but to redeem themselves for being horrible fathers who raised their children in a homophobic environment and never accepted their sexuality. And so in an effort not only to bring their killers to justice, but then also to make peace with their um, their dead children, they go on a, a path of revenge, a violent, bloody path of revenge. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> a lot I'm of violence that in that one. book, man. A lot of violence in that There's an early scene when somebody gets their head caved in with Ooh. a garden tool. So it's already. <laughs> <laughs> I love improvising uh, weapons. I was a big fan of MacGyver growing up as a kid. So. <laughs> All right, friend. Well, um, yeah, if you want to drop some wisdom on your fellow scribes and just how to keep the ink flowing and keep the yeah. cursor moving. Yeah, we'll wrap there. Okay, well, I'll tell you this. Two things that I've learned is one, as a writer, you have to develop a thick skin. You just you're going to get rejected. There's going to be people who don't get your work. Don't read the reviews, um, even if they're good, just because people because <laughs> um, it's always you're going to read like 50 good ones. And then you'll see that you'll remember the one that gave you the one or two stars. So don't <laughs> don't read the reviews, develop a thick skin, but also stand up for your work. Nobody knows your story as well as you do. And so if somebody tries to pressure you into writing something a certain way or taking something out, putting something in, listen, you know, choose and uh, your hills to die on carefully. But if you choose to defend a hill, defend it with everything you got, because at the end of the day, that's your dream going on the paper and nobody else can dream that dream the way you do. You know, writing is a lonely endeavor, but and, and, and it's hard because it's all you. You know, writing is like telling yourself a joke for nine months and then hoping everybody else gets the punchline. <laughs> and so you have to be able to stand up for yourself and stand up for what you believe in. I love that. Writing is like telling yourself a joke for nine months and hoping that somebody <laughs> gets it. Um, fantastic speaking with you. Essay, uh, congrats on the work, congrats on all the successes that uh, you have earned. And yeah, man, um, where are you headed now? Are you, are you, I know, you know, with the pandemic and everything, it's probably hard for you to get out there and do <laughs> readings and stuff. So, so what, oh, uh, man, 
we've been doing I've been doing a lot of virtual noirs, uh, Zoom readings and stuff online. Those have nice. been fun. Uh, I get to sit in my easy chair and, and drink whiskey and, and not uh, <laughs> and, 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 not, and not like bump into someone accidentally and knock their peanuts out of their hand or whatever. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of reading. <laughs> I love noir the bars. I love them. But it's funny because if you read in the beginning of a noir the bar, you have a much better. The crowd is more responsive <laughs> at the end, but they're let they're paying less attention because everybody's drunk. But uh, I love Noir de Bars, but I've been doing a lot of those. Uh, I've been doing a lot of, um, I have a couple writer friends that we get on Zoom and we kind of read each other, do stuff, you know, a little writer's critical circle and then kind of just talk and reconnect with everything. Like I said, with everything going on with the pandemic, uh, communication and connection is, is more important than ever, I think. So, and uh, right now, like I said, I'm knee deep in revisions for Razorblade Tears. I got a couple other projects that I can't, sounds very cryptic. I, I can't speak about them at this time, but <laughs> I got a couple, couple other projects uh, in the works. And um, I'll tell you, man, it's uh, it's funny because there's a line in uh, Game of Thrones where Robert Baratheon says, I was never so alive as when I was uh, fighting for this crown and never so dead once I won it. And I don't feel that way exactly. I think if I was, ne- I think if I had to rephrase it, I would say I was never so alive when I was fighting for this career and I've I've never been more stressed out now that I'm getting it, but I love every minute of it. I can't imagine, you know, is writing is the one thing in the world that I think I'm pretty good at. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I mean, it's just, I love it. I, lo- I, you know, I love writing for the sake of writing. I love telling a story, whether it's on the page or whether it's in front of my friends. And so it's the, it's the thing I feel like I just, I just love it. And so to be able to earn a living at it or to be able to have people appreciate it. And man, that's, that's extra. It, it, it's mm-hmm. extra. It'll, you know, I can, you, you know, as long as I live, I'll never, uh, you know, I'll, nobody will ever take that feeling away from me. I hope, cause I love it. Wow. Well, I think that's a perfect place to wrap it up. And, uh, again, thank you for your time. Uh, please do come back, visit us again. Let us know. Um, you know, sometime in the future, uh, about yeah, that, man. uh, film adaptation and razor blade <laughs> tears sounds like, uh, wow. An epic, uh, thrill ride again. Well, wow. thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Please have me back. I would love to come and talk your ear off. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the writer files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.